You're listening to the Elim Church Northampton podcast. This message was recorded live as part of our regular Sunday service. We know that this is a great investment into your life. So tune in and give it a listen. For more information, visit elimnorthampton.com. Let's give a hand for our worship team. You guys are amazing. Amazing. And uh, I'd just like to take this opportunity to, uh, to just honour everybody who, who serves as part of this church. You know, um, there's so much that, that goes on behind the scenes in the kids' work, the production team, everything. So can we just take a moment just to honour everyone who, who serves as part of this church? We just thank you so much. We just honour you and just thank you for, for what you do. And if you're not serving, it'd be great for you to join in as well. So there we go, that's my little plug. So um, yeah, so we've, we had an amazing Easter, didn't we, last weekend for a lot of the people who were, who were here. Uh, we, we had our Good Friday service at Gladstone Road where we really reflected upon the cross. And then on Easter Sunday, Pastor Paul was in the house. We had a great time and celebration, didn't we? And he spoke to us about the evidence of the resurrection, which is what I was going to preach about today. So he's, he's nicked it. So we had to start again on that one. Um, we had people come down f- at the front for prayer, didn't we? We had a, a great time of ministry. And, and God was really working amongst us, wasn't he? It was great. I thought it was great anyway. So it was good, wasn't it? So this week, um, some of you might think we're still on Easter. Why is it still Easter? But we're going to conclude our Easter campaign today. And as Pastor Jason mentioned last week... Our new campaign, which is going to start next week, and Pastor Mike is going to, going to kick that off, Pastor Mike Nichols from Luton, is called uh, Build the House. So, so this message I'm going to bring to you today is going to be a bridge between the two. It's going to be between the Easter campaign and Build the House. So my message today for, for us all is, the title of the message is, Who is in Control? So let me ask you that question today. Who is in control? See, Jesus surrendered control of of his own life to God's will by dying on the cross, didn't he? And we, we, we talked about that, we explored about that, and we celebrated that last weekend. So, so what we're going to do is we're going to explore today uh, how we can surrender or what the Bible's perspective is of surrendering control in our own lives. So here's, here's the thing that we need to look at. Are we controlled initially by other people? Are we controlled by the environments that we're in? See, what you might not realise is how many people actually do control your life. Maybe it's feeding your feeding you conscious or subconscious information on what is right and wrong maybe or what is good and bad maybe what is healthy for your life or maybe what is unhealthy for your life you know what I I am down with the kids a little bit I was on TikTok the other day and um, within two minutes I was I was I was flicking along TikTok and I had two different videos each giving me conflicting information on what I needed to do to lose weight one was telling me that I needed to eat something to see a certain item to help me lose weight. And the other one was telling me not to eat that item to lose weight. See, 
in the modern digital age, we're surrounded by so many different channels of misinformation and information, aren't we? You know, for, for example, I'm just going to give you an example. A YouGov survey served, showed the difference between perception and the truth in some societal matters. So when Britons were polled, and this is from a couple of years ago, on average, people thought that 24% of the UK population followed Islam, where the real number is, is about 5%. So people thought a lot more people followed Islam than actually did. There was another one where um, people thought that on average, 31% of the population were immigrants where in the UK, where the real number is about 15%. See, biased information can overload our control. It can control us, it can control our thought patterns, and it can control our behaviours as well. See, some of those examples are, are on broader issues, but actually there, there are more people in your, in your life or, or things in your life that are secretly controlling your life by influencing how you make things uh, priorities in your life or things that are more important than others. They might influence some of your life-changing decisions that you might take in your life. And they're secret sometimes because we don't know that they're actually going on, those influences. You know, the main direct influences on, on your life are people such as your family, your friends, your heroes, your villains, and also a portrayal sometimes, an image of what is, imp is impressed on you and what, how you should live your life or the person that you should be. So I'd like us to explore control. You know, we've, we've briefly explored the facts that I just mentioned that, that someone, might, someone else might be influencing or controlling us. And we can revel in the thought that we can control our own lives. That's kind of encouraged us, isn't it? To take control of your own life. And in fact, many of us are control freaks, aren't we? I'm a big control freak, if I'm honest. And how many of you have had issues of control when it comes to your own life? You know, this is, this is something that's embedded into society, particularly in the Western world. You know, the dream that anyone can achieve what they simply want to achieve simply by working hard and persevering. And by doing this, this should leave you, lead you to a, a happy and a, and a successful life. See, the society is telling you that you, have, you should have control or you have control of who you become and the life that you live. See, let's go back to Jesus. You know, like we explored briefly, rather than Jesus controlling his own life, he chose to surrender that to God's will. When he spent time in the wilderness and he was tempted, it was an exercise of control over his own life. See, would he make, that, would he make a decision to take back that control rather than surrendering it to God? That was the test for Jesus. And even when Jesus was on the cross, there was, a, there was an attempt there to, to tempt him to take control back during his time of pain and suffering. You know, in Matthew 27, verse 40, the passerby cried out, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. And second by the chief and the priests, the teachers of the law and the elders who mocked him, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. 
Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. See, the scripture shows that Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Jesus actually goes on later to confess that he can do nothing on his own. And he calls those who who follow him to do the same. In Matthew 16, verse 24 to 25, he says, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, Jesus answers our control problems that we have in our lives with one point, and that is surrender. See, the word surrender can can create a bit of friction sometimes internally in many of us, can't it? The last thing we want to do is give up control and surrender. It's in our nature to not do that. The story of Adam and Eve in Genesis, right at the beginning of where mankind was created, and they just couldn't handle the fact that God had asked them to not do one particular thing, but they wanted control, hence they went and did it. It's just built into us. And I'll have to admit, I can't stand not being in control at times. And the big one for me is driving. Driving. Come on, car drivers. Who, who struggles to be sat in a passenger seat of a car? Yeah? Even worse, the back seat. No one wants to be in the back seat, do they? You know, Pastor Jackie and I, we've got, we've got a fantastic marriage, all right, for the record. 11 years. 11 years strong. But when it's been put to its biggest test has been in our car. <laughs> I'm telling you that. And the biggest, well, the biggest one is music. All right? So we've got completely different musical tastes. I'm, I'm into, we, we were both uh, in, in our teenage years during the 90s, and I was into like indie music, rock music, you know, like Oasis and that kind of a thing. I love all that. And then the early 2000s, being a Sheffield lad, I'm into Arctic Monkeys. I like all that big guitars and that kind of a thing. See, Jackie, Jackie, <laughs> bless her. She's into 90s R&B. She's into TLC. I don't want no scrub. Oh, I'm <laughs> She's into um, Brandy and Monica. The boy is my... Anyway, I'm catching it on 11 years. And, and, and we've, we, the control of music in our car, right, is a, is a magnificent power to have, all right? And it's been a, a subject of contention, especially on longer journeys. And our families, this is what we do now. This is how bad it's become, right? We're driving up to Sheffield to our, to, to our family, two-hour drive, and we actually now go around the car in clockwise and taking turns on who can pick what song to play. That's, that's solved our marriage, base, saved our marriage, basically. But it's true, isn't it? We like control. We do like control over things, you know. But on a, on a serious note, many of us are still under the illusion that we have control. Many of us think because we've got that remote on Netflix or we've got the music in the car, we've got control over our lives because we have choices that we can make. But do you know what? Nothing is further from the truth. You know, times when we've tried to take control and, and we've messed up over the years. There's a good example of, 
of us not being able to properly take control, isn't it? And then we take control and then our lives spin out of control and then we're coming back to God going, God, I need you. I surrender. I need you in my life. Think about those times. But maybe, maybe the word surrender has got like connotations of, of, of things like defeat or like humiliation or losing, like a big white flag that we're having to wave up. And the world never considers surrender as a positive thing, does it? No one wants to lose and no one wants to admit defeat. And we're all taught, aren't we, to never give up, never give in. So if winning is everything, then surrendering is unthinkable. See, surrendering in a world sense is, is, is partly correct, but surrendering to God is a different story. The word surrender means to hand over. It means to yield. Surrendering to God isn't losing. Surrendering to God isn't admitting defeat. See, it's about victory in Jesus Christ because he calls us to surrender. You know, last week we celebrated Jesus' victory over sin and death, didn't we? We went for it. We celebrated him being the King of kings and the, the Lord of lords. We sang, all hail King Jesus. But by Jesus surrendering to God's will, he and we became victorious through that surrender. See, surrendering to God is about being who we're actually called to be, what God's actually calling us to be. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote, I think we've got it on the screen. The more we let God take us over, the more truly ourselves we become because he made us. Just think about that. The more we let God take us over, the more truly ourselves we become because he made us. See, surrendering your life to God could mean a few things, and I'm going to give you some examples. You're following God's lead without knowing that where he's sending you. You're waiting for God's timing, knowing, not knowing when it'll come. You're expecting a miracle in your life without knowing how God's going to provide it. Or you're trusting God's purpose without understanding the consequences. See, surrendering to Jesus is another name for being born again. So for people who don't know what that term means, it means that, that we're led into a new life, but led by Jesus. And it's allowing Jesus to, to live inside you. It's about living a, a Christ-like life that's pleasing and it's acceptable to God. It's confessing your sins when you've sinned and you repent and then you turn away from those sins. It's about giving up your pride it's about giving up your control. It's about giving up your independence. And all those things in your life that you've placed as more important, you've either done it consciously or subconsciously, as more important than what God wants you to do. See, surrendering is allowing God to guide your life. It's about making regular sacrifices in living and in serving him. It's prioritising God with our time, 
our talents and our treasure. It's acknowledging him in all things. And it's realising, this is the big thing, it's realising that everything that we have in this life comes from him. And most of all, it means that we finally understand that we cannot make it without his constant guidance and his constant protection. You know, surrendering to Jesus means that we should look at the scriptures for, for guidance first before we ask other people or pick up a self-help book in a library or a bookstore. Those things are fine, but we go to the Bible first. We'll submit to the Bible. We'll follow the commands of the Bible. You know, Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Surrendering means we'll pray, not just because we need it, because we're commanded to do it. We'll stand up for truth. We'll stand up for justice. We'll stand up for righteousness because God has called us to. We'll respect, here's a controversial one, we'll respect God's creation because we realise that we're caretakers of this world, not owners of this world. We will build this church and we'll follow the Great Commission to make disciples of the nations. You know, let me tell you something today. God loves you. God does love you. And Jesus died in our place and he does want the best for us. God has plans for our lives, plans to give us a hope, plans to give us a future. However, God's plan will come to fruition with or without you. You know that, don't you? God's plan will, will come to fruition whether you follow his will or you don't. The world doesn't revolve around us. God's purpose, God's plans, God's will doesn't depend on us. If we don't follow God's will for our lives, guess what? Someone else is going to fulfill it. He's going to use somebody else to do it. Please understand this, church. There are several examples in Scripture where God passed over people that didn't obey him. It's not all about us. It's not popular to say this, is it? But it's not all about us. It's about God. It is. Let's switch it around. And let me to, allow me to challenge you today. Many of you here consider, statistically it's true, Many of you here consider yourself as Christians, but are you truly, truly surrendered to him? Because that's part of it. So you might ask, well, how do I know? How do I know when I'm surrendered to Jesus? You surrender to God when you rely on him to work things out instead of trying to manipulate things or force, force your agenda to control the situation. You let things go and you just let God do the work sometimes. You let him take charge. Instead of trying harder in a situation, when you, when you hit a, a roadblock, instead of trying harder, you trust more. Sometimes it's, it's, it's automatic for us to try and do more if we're not getting there. Sometimes we need to do less and we need to trust him more. If you're faced with a difficult trial or tribulation, don't ask yourself, 
what am I going to do now? What should I do now? But you're asking, God, what are you, what are you going to do now? And how can you work through me to be able to make that happen? You don't just rely on your own abilities and your own resources, but you rely on God's power and you rely on God's provision. You place your complete and utter faith and trust in Christ, knowing that God is on control no matter what you face, and without God and with God, all things are possible. You getting this today, church? Good. You know, we're, we're, we're selling our house at the minute and we're relocating back to Yorkshire, to the promised land, all right? <laughs> and, <laughs> debatable. Okay, live stream suddenly cut off. And, uh, and we've, got, uh, we've, we've been up looking at houses and things like that and we found a couple of really good options for us back up north. Uh, but we can't proceed with anything until our house is sold. You've got to sell your house, haven't you, to buy another house, most people do. Oh, I've got to do that. And we've had some viewings on our house. It's been on the market for about a few weeks, uh, about a month, six weeks, something. And we've had a few viewings, but we haven't had anything come through at this point, uh, offer-wise. So if you want to buy a house, come talk to me. Uh, <laughs> but I'll be honest, at, at moments of tiredness and vulnerability, I really, sh- I'm really struggle to submit this situation to God and be in peace that he's in control. It's not coming along to my timeline. And I struggle. My mindset changes to thinking that my family's future, you know, and my, my, my whole family's future and everyone in that house and my family being closest to them up north is dependent on that house being sold. The pressure is put on myself as I want the best for my family and I don't want them to go through any insecurity to feel like what's going to happen. But then, but then through prayer, reading God's word, praising God reminds me of what he actually has given me. He reminds me of what he's brought me through in the past. He reminds me of the privilege I have of serving him. It reminds me of the people that he's put around me to support me and love me. And then that disappears. So guess what, church? It's all right to feel like that sometimes. It is. But it's where you go in those times which counts. Jesus in Matthew 9, 26 says, with man this is impossible, but with God all things. It doesn't say some things. It doesn't say your things. It says all things are possible. See, we must, we must surrender to God. And out of that surrender becomes a willingness to sacrifice no matter what the cost is. See, surrendering is the the pathway to spiritual maturity and and being more like Christ. Because we're just following what he's already done and, and, and the example that he's given us. With sacrifice comes a commitment to the obedience and to the word of God. You know, when it comes down to it, we can overcomplicate these things, but it simply comes down to two choices in our lives. It's either living a a self-centered life or a Christ-centered life. See, there's no other choices. There's no in-between. There's no fence that we can sit on in the middle. 
in between and live in both. You're either surrendered to God or you're not. See, following Jesus and being a Christian isn't complete without surrendering to God. Your family needs to be surrendered to God. Your finances need to be surrendered to God. Your relationships need to be surrendered to God. Guess what? Your work needs to be surrendered to God. Most people's lists of things that they consider important are things like, and I googled this, so of course it's right, personal peace, happiness, comfort, prosperity, security, friends, good health, and financial freedom. But the problem, problem that we have, it's probably right that, isn't it? But the problem that we have sometimes is the amount of plans that we make are centred on us rather than God. And as, as a result, what, what happens is sometimes is we make plans and we wait for God to rubber stamp it, don't we? Or we try and almost manipulate God into speak, try to, trying to manipulate God into speaking to us to say that's the right thing to do, but we've already decided we're going to do it anyway. It's true, isn't it? And then what happens? Conflict happens and we ignore God's plan for our lives. See, you can't pursue your own agenda and you can't pursue God's agenda at the same time. Your agenda must be God's agenda. Matthew 6.24, Jesus says, this is, this is as clear as it gets, Jesus ain't messing about, no one can serve two masters. See, God will and provide many of those things that are important to us, but they're a byproduct of following God's pleasing and perfect will. So he gives us those provisions because we follow and we surrender to him. And our surrender is God, is, is, our surrender to God's plan is a statement that we will not live for those things. And as you begin to surrender to Jesus, a sanctification process happens. You become more like Jesus. So the things of those world that were important to you actually don't matter much anymore. Because it's all about Jesus. It's all about what he wants. And that simple thing becomes the most important thing in your life. See, surrendering is not a, a one-time thing either. Surrendering must be a, an ongoing practice. It must be a, a routine that we have. And there'll be challenges and choices to make along the way. You know, after Jesus was tempted for the third time, Luke records this in Luke 4.13. says, when the devil had finished all of his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So in other words, the enemy was, was always going to be looking for opportunities to tempt Jesus, to take back, con so Jesus took back control of his life and his ministry. And the same is relevant to us. Surrendering is a constant practice. Each day, each decision, each moment, needs to be surrendered to God. The goal for us is to have absolutely no separation between our spiritual life and our common everyday life. Those two lives need to be joined up. Unfortunately, what we can do sometimes is we can take our spiritual lives and we can attach that to pre-selected areas. 
So we've almost got like independent silos, independent things. We've got a, a silo for our family. We might have one for our jobs. We might have one for our finances. We might have one for what we do in church. And then we've got a silo, which is like our spiritual life. And we have a role that we play in each, but one doesn't necessarily impact the other. So many times our spiritual life has no impact whatsoever on any of those other areas. See, we need to take a time and a moment to constantly re-surrender every area of our lives to him. Paul said in Romans 12 verse 1, So brothers and sisters, I beg you to offer your lives as a living sacrifice to him. Surrender and sacrifice must become central to our lives. Jesus said in Luke 9.23, If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, God wants to be involved God wants to be involved in every single decision that you make, regardless of how big it is or how small it is. He wants to guide your every thought. He wants to lead you on a path of life. He wants to be right there in every single action that you undertake. But this can only come when you completely surrender to him and you completely allow him to take control. And this is, how, as I've mentioned, is how we learn to, to grow and how we, we learn to mature in Christ and live a more holy life. The more control that we allow God to have in our life, the greater the spiritual growth is and the closer that we'll be to God. Sometimes we just think about, overthink these things. The more we surrender, the closer we get to God. Without total surrender to Jesus, we'll continue to, to go through life, hit all these storms, and they'll break us down, they'll tire us out, we'll have crisis after crisis. You know, Jesus talks about, in the Bible it says so many times not to worry, doesn't it? But he actually says you're going to be in trouble. Trouble's going to come. But when we surrender to God, we don't worry but we go through the trouble without worry. Does that make sense? And if we don't surrender, we won't be able to put up with the disappointments, the discouragements, the disillusions that we have in life. Without surrender, we'll continue to walk independently of God and the enemy is going to be sat there waiting for an opportune time to take you out. Been there. But when you do surrender completely, you'll switch from working for God to letting God work through you. Many people spend a lot of time serving and working for God, but not letting God work through them. And when you do that, you'll find that God provides you with all the strength and all the power that you need. You don't have to beg and plead with the Holy Spirit to fill me up. I need my batteries charging. He'll overflow through you. When you surrender completely, you don't need to worry, like I said, about what's going to happen in your life. You don't have to continue to chase more in life 
and you'll be contented with what you already have. The deeper that your relationship with God goes, the more your mindset is going to change. And the biggest thing you need to do is surrender. That's all. That's the starting point for all of us. Simply surrender. Surrender.